Hi, welcome to OCBC Insights, a podcast to keep you updated about the latest economic trends and developments. You can find us on our Telegram channel, OCBC Insights, on Spotify. My name is Rachel, and today we discuss the Singapore economy and market outlook after a two-month circuit breaker. Joining us today is OCBC's Chief Economist, Selena Ling, and Head of OCBC Investment Research, Carmen Dee. Hi, everyone. Hi, um, Rachel. Yeah, uh, we found out this week that Singapore's three phases to three phases to reopen the economy, right? This is going to happen, and some people are arguing that phase one, where many businesses still remain closed, you can only go and visit your parents or your grandparents a little bit more easily, is arguably an extension of the circuit breaker. So before I ask you those hard questions, uh, do you guys agree that you know phase one is an extension? Maybe uh, Sabina, you want to start first? Yeah. Okay, sure. Well, I don't really see it that way because I think second uh, June is seen as basically the date where um, up to 75% of the Singapore economy is going to restart. So that's actually a big change from the last two months uh, where essentially only the essential manufacturing services were actually in activity. And then even then, the number of uh, workers who were actually commuting to work was very, very restricted. And I think if you look in terms of the foreign worker numbers as well, most of them have been lifted from the stay-at-home notices and they're going to, the construction workers are going to start going back to the workplace as well. So I think it's a big turning point. Okay. Do you, is that something you agree with, Carmen? I think what is uh, very uh, uh, interesting is that I think they are gradually opening up face by face and I think that is the right move because of the fact that if you look at it, uh, this is still very much an evolving situation and you don't really want it to be a, from zero to 100%. And uh, the gradual move, in fact, I think is, it allows for us to adapt and perhaps we look again and, and try to understand how this is going to be rather than going from what is it, zero to 100 and that would be too dramatic a change. Mm, okay, but some people, I guess, those who are worried, business businesses, business owners, people whose uh, livelihoods are affected, uh, some are very worried about what that means for the economy and our quarterly GDP because whatever those bad numbers are, that's going to translate and affect them. Uh, Selena, can you, can you say something about that? What, what well, are your good predictions? news and bad news for you. I think the good news is uh, when the first quarter revised GDP numbers come out, actually it's going to look uh, less severe than the initial flash estimates of minus 2.2%. And this is because in March itself, what we saw from the manufacturing output data, actually it was surprisingly uh, stronger than what we had expected. So there's a possibility that instead of minus 2.2 print, it will come in a little bit better at minus 1.5% year on year. But the bad news is, I think uh, because of the two-month circuit breaker that we have in April and May, obviously the second quarter growth numbers are going to look a lot worse than the first quarter. So, you know, we just have balance between the two for now. Okay, so yeah, I definitely hear you on the negative economic growth. Um, Carmen, I've also been trying to balance my own uh, portfolio. And, and one thing that, that we've been seeing is that the stock market, despite the negative economic growth, has been rebounding very, very quickly. Is there an explanation for this? Can you I give a what happens is that I think the world has is seeing really truly unprecedented amount of money and stimulus packages, which I think Selena uh, can elaborate further on. But uh, what what this means is that governments are very concerned this round, and the amount of money coming to the market is just uh, at all time high. Even here in Singapore, I think we're talking about close to sixty four uh, billion dollars. And uh, if you look at it, most countries are actually prepared to even consider more. And I think next week we'll have uh, Mr. Hingsui get actually um, sharing a little bit more about how uh, the businesses are going to be. Uh, Help along during this whole period. So basically, what has happened is that in terms of the stock market, 
there's always this pricing of expectation and it's usually between six months to nine months. And in this case, the market is pricing in the fact that it's going to be a very short and sharp recovery. And with the fund coming to the market, that recovery will be less painful than perhaps without the funding. But again, having said that, this is market expectation. The reality is that, like what Selena shared earlier on, in terms of the economic numbers, it's still going to be fairly weak for perhaps another two, three, four quarters. Mm. Well, I agree with comment on that. I think the economic data coming in is still going to be fairly grim for a while more. But nevertheless, um, you know, financial markets tend to be forward-looking. And actually, what we have seen in the last two, three months is that both the monetary authorities and also the fiscal authorities have thrown everything, including the kitchen sink, at the problem. So if you look in the US, for instance, the amount of backstop that the Federal Reserve has provided to all the different markets, including the you know, corporate bond market, um, it does suggest that they are basically trying to put a floor to how bad this current uh, 2020 recession could get due to the COVID-19 and the lockdown measures. So that's so what I think. Oh, yeah, sorry. That that's really what is kind of like uh, putting a, a floor, you know, to all those bearish sentiments out there. So just a quick question, just want to ask you. I mean, do you think that there's still further elimination left to actually uh, take this on if a second or third wave comes along? Because this is really such an evolving situation and with the amount of money already in the market, I'm just wondering whether if most countries still have ample you know, funds somewhere that they can take up just to you know, combat the next round of infection. I think, Carmen, you really hit the nail uh, on the head um, because now the hottest topic on the agenda really is the possibility of negative interest rates. We have seen basically the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan dip their toes into negative interest rates, but now the pressure is on whether the US Federal Reserve is also going to follow suit. So far, what we hear from the Fed Chair Powell is that he draws a fine line in the sand. He says that this is not an option that they're really considering yet. But if you look elsewhere in the world, we basically recently had the Reserve Bank of New Zealand and even the Bank of England kind of broach the subject that this is something that they will consider. I think the fact is that a lot of the central banks have cut interest rates by tremendous amounts in the last couple of months. And once they start to approach the zero bound, you know, then the question is what else can they do? And hence the natural question would be, would they actually go into the negative interest rate? So this is something that we are watching quite closely. Even for the Singapore case, we basically had the one month saw rate actually dip in the negative territory just a couple of days ago. It was very brief and it rebounded back into the positive territory. But at the end of the day, because of the LIBOR computations, uh, it will be a you know, a formula that's based on where LIBOR rates are headed. And so far, LIBOR rates have actually fallen quite a fair bit on the back of the dollar funding conditions actually normalizing. Oh. That's a, a, scary, a scary scenario. But uh, so, uh, bottom line, at the moment, we're not looking at that for Singapore yet, right, Selena? I think for Singapore's case, you could get brief occasions when the saw rates actually dip their toes in the negative territory. We have seen this in a couple of years ago as well. Typically, they do not stay there for protracted periods of time. And I think more importantly for the men on the street, for most of their mortgage loans that are currently still tied to solve, for instance, after the experience, they are actually now uh, flawed at zero. So even if the saw rates dip into zero, the men on the street may see very muted implications from that. I think for Cyborg, the bar to going negative is a lot higher um, because it's an interbank funding rate. Um, although MES is committed to actually provide uh, ample uh, you know, liquidity for the Singapore market, but nevertheless, we think that it's a much higher hurdle for cyber rates to go negative. Actually, but I think the low, low for longer interest rate is probably here to stay. 
I think that uh, people tend to ignore this, but I think for corporates in particular, low interest rate actually is a positive. Obviously, the overriding uh, concern now is that the global economy is slowing down so badly and also the fact that the, on the revenue and top line front, the numbers are not coming. But I think we get a temporary reprieve because of the fact that in terms of the cost part of it, it's actually come off uh, for most of the companies which are perhaps more heavily geared than others. So they actually are enjoying a little bit of uh, uh, savings in terms of their interest expense as well. So there is a little bit of silver lining here. Yeah, although I'm not quite sure how much uh, silver lining they will get to enjoy because typically when interest rates fall so sharply, it's due to the macroeconomic environment that has deteriorated. And I think the market expectation is that with this whole COVID uh, induced economic crisis, actually there's going to be a lot of credit uh, deterioration that's going to come in the coming months and quarters. So actually mm -hmm. the credit selection now is very, the scrutiny is very uh, intense. So I think even if uh, companies are brave enough to uh, take on the leverage, um, you know, they also may find a credit market that is a little bit less forgiving in this kind of current environment. So yes, interest rates have fallen, but you also see that in terms of economic activity, it has also fallen in line. Yeah, I that any corporates in particular in any particular sectors have emerged of this crisis uh, su doing surprisingly well in any sectors at all? Okay, I think that uh, most companies in Singapore are uh, in a sense quite well protected because of the fact that there's always a cap to how much they can borrow, right? So which is why I think in this situation we have not seen any default yet which uh, thankfully is a good thing at this point in time. But having said that, I think I kind of agree with Selena in that um, while interest rates are hitting low to negative on level, uh, not all companies will benefit, although certain companies definitely will. I think we recently spoke to one company which is uh, doing data centers and, and that is like a growing business and they have done actually very well and uh, they're looking to expand. And now, in addition to that, the demand for their service is uh, growing quite rapidly, largely because of the fact that there's a lot of uh, content that's required online. You're, you're playing more video games, you're watching more movies, on, uh, and you're being entertained constantly on the online now that you cannot go out, and you're doing a lot more shopping online, uh, ordering of food online, including, um, well, I just recently tried to order fruits and meat uh, online as well too. So things that people have never done in the past, they're starting to do that. And so uh, that whole uh, new economy has actually created a strong demand for them and obviously these are companies that are going to be quite well positioned even after COVID and they will need funding as well and if the rates are low they are most likely going to be in a very good spot whereby they are in a winning situation but unfortunately this is not across the board I think there will be companies that will fail because it's such a challenging environment and uh, we've already seen that corporates are guiding for very uh, muted sort of tone going forward too many uncertainties, too many variables, they are not even able to see the clarity in terms of the earnings. So that's where the part of the uh, being very cautious in terms of your stock pick is quite critical because there are companies that will not do well in this whole environment, but yet there will be companies which are what I like to call maybe a bit more new economy. And I think what we're doing now is which is Zoom and uh, Skype and all that, that. Those are new things and, and companies which are playing with all this right segment of the market, uh, most likely we'll see continued demand even after COVID and we'll still continue to do well. Yeah, I would echo that. I think that, you know, um, because of the needs, uh, now everything is conducted online, um, whether it's you're working from home or in terms of the purchases that you actually need for essentials. So I think in terms of the uh, e-commerce, uh, digital uh, platforms, and I think to a certain extent, the logistics that is also required to support some of these uh, e-commerce uh, facilities as well will do fairly well. Uh, the other two sectors, I think probably that will also see fairly robust demand ongoing. One will be the biomed side because now there's this big rush uh, for you know uh, protective equipments 
and for vaccine-related type of development. Um, so I think uh, we have actually seen this in the NODEX numbers for Singapore as well. That's basically uh, surprisingly uh, resilient. And I think the other sector I would actually uh, be a little bit surprised as well um, would be that food preparations and processing because I think uh, a lot of the disruptions that we have seen in the global supply chains uh, due to the travel restrictions have actually caused you know, many countries, including Singapore, to try and diversify our food sourcing. Uh, you know, and that has actually contributed to some revamp and some onshoring of different uh, food products as well. Mm. So, uh, I mean, I'm hearing you guys about the, uh, about the silver lining sectors, but I also heard what Carmen said about we're going to see some firms closing down, right? So, you know, we're actually, I guess we're going to expect more layoffs, more closures. You know, Selena and Carmen, we're, having, we're, we're expecting a fourth budget next week. What do you guys want to happen? You know, what do you guys want to see from uh, DPM Hing next week? I think the path of least resistance, um, because a lot of the F&B and retail sector um, will actually see a deferred uh, reopening. So I think the cry for help from those sectors um, is going to be very real. So there will be probably some pressure to um, extend the assistance that is provided. But I think it's going to be a little bit more tar uh, targeted and more curated uh, compared to the earlier three budgets where it was basically just throwing out lifelines to every single sector out there. I mean, if you look at the amount of um, help that's being extended on the job support scheme, I think the, the probability that, you know, the policymakers weigh the risk of higher unemployment versus uh, giving more uh, wage support for a slightly longer period of time or a higher, uh, you know, percentage of wage support for a slightly longer point of time. I think that one is actually uh, quite plausible. For some of these industries, especially, you know, we do expect that uh, anything that's travel or hospitality related type of industries will actually remain in the doldrums for quite some time to come. And the fact that it's in phase two, you don't know how long phase two is going to last. Phase three definitely doesn't look like it's coming anytime soon. I mean, mm. to go back to a question that Carmen had asked earlier, like really, do we really have that much fuel in the tank to, to, to keep throwing out these targeted... <laughs> Uh, measures. Well, because how long can I go for? Yeah. Well, I think if you look in the past uh, six to seven months, obviously we have seen unprecedented uh, policy response. Uh, this was true for the global side because now, if you look in terms of the announced fiscal uh, stimulus packages, Japan and Germany are leading the pack with more than 20% of GDP. Uh, in total, we are looking at more than 4% of global GDP, which is quite substantial in this short period of time. In Singapore's case, it's nothing to be sniffed at either, you know, we're in excess of 12% of GDP. And that's ahead of Tuesday's announcement as well. Uh, of course, there's a question of how much more are we going to draw on the reserves and how much more fiscal assistance is going to come. I think if you look also ahead, I think the, we are kind of at a turning point. I think the focus now really is going to be trying to get uh, businesses uh, back on their feet to get restarted again after two months of effectively cold storage. So I think it's important to set the longer-term perspective from here. Um, I think there is some room uh, for Singapore because we have fairly deep fiscal reserves, but it's a question of risk and reward at the end of the day. How much do we want to continue uh, you know, to fund some of these economic activities? I don't think the government is in this game to basically save all companies. Probably they want to help those that are viable. 
And similarly, as much as they would like to uh, help all Singaporeans in terms of jobs, they probably there will still be some fallout in terms of uh, you know retrenchments and layoffs as well. Mm. I think what according to what Celine just said is that uh, I think the reality is that uh, some lot some jobs will become redundant because I think that we have already adapted and I I think uh, this is back to the point about telecommuting. Uh, in the past, we used to travel a lot on work just so that we can go and see clients, do our business, conduct our businesses and everything. But I think that uh, we've also come to realise that, you know, Skype is just as effective a means of communicating as well and engaging your clients. So uh, businesses are rethinking how they're going to go forward, you know, with, with the social distancing and do you really need so much uh, office space and everything. So there'll be changes and some of these jobs along the way uh, may actually evolve into something else or will be completely lost as well. So I think... Um, I think Selena is right that some, some jobs inevitably will disappear from this, this uh, force of crisis. But having said that, I think that uh, strategic industries will still need to be uh, safe. And I think while people are generally very negative about airlines, which took the brunt of the selling pressure this round, and also because of the fact that they are the most obvious uh, victim of the whole COVID uh, situation because uh, travel came to a halt totally. But having said that, I think we tend to forget that there are a lot of other industries which perhaps is not the first phase first tier, but uh, even in property sectors, even in financial services, and trading, all the second, third uh, uh, segment of the market will also be impacted by this. So again, then which are the ones that will be the winner, which are the losers, and, and that's quite challenging, but and which are the ones to save, which are not the ones to save. But I think, having said, said that, it will cut across the whole entire uh, market. And um, well, airlines is the focus and, and everyone seems to be talking about how SIA managed to get an $8.8 billion uh, lifeline to, to continue its operation. But do bear in mind that SIA is a very strong brand name. And also that I think this crisis will also weed out the, uh, the smaller players. And I think in the next couple of months, some will collapse and everything. And that's when I think the bigger and stronger players will very well back sort of uh, uh, funding needs or we very well back... Uh, sponsor or even in this case government link uh, these are some of the key players that will I think come out of this whole COVID situation stronger and perhaps ready to take on the next phase of growth or market share but uh, Kaman what you said about uh, businesses changing so Singapore has always been such a fan of REITs right is mm-hmm. there still a future for REITs especially if we if you expect the um, future of work to change mm-hmm. I think if you look at it this round, uh, certain segment of the risk sector has actually done very well. I mean, in particular data center, uh, that segment has actually outperformed the market and year to date, uh, it's still up quite strongly. Uh, industrial space is also doing very well. Most of them are actually either at neutral level versus earlier in the year, which means that they actually outperformed the market. Because broader market has actually declined quite sharply. So I think we're in the right space, like industrial space, and like Selena said earlier on, that logistics services will still be required, and warehousing services will still be required because people still need to you know, store their, their goods and everything. So companies which are in that segment of the market uh, will generally tend to do quite well. But I think we are really holding largely hospitality assets, and travel industry is now really at, a, at one of the lowest points in history. Then um, I think the next 12 months visibility and earnings outlook will be quite bleak. So again, um, it's not specific to the entire sector. Within the sector itself, there are two or three growth pockets. And then of course, there are also two or three uh, segments which are actually now uh, uh, in, in a very much of a downturn. Yeah. I also want to just chip in. I think um, industries will have to relook at their business models because if we look at China, China is seen as the first in and first out from this COVID crisis. 
And even when the Chinese uh, started to restart their economy and reopen, um, there were some critical changes to consumption patterns as well. If you look at travel, um, obviously the Chinese now is looking more at domestic travel rather than international travel because of the global COVID-19 pandemic is still ongoing. But I think it's also very likely that even as the global economy starts to reopen, probably the travel patterns would be more domestic or at best maybe regional in nature rather than long-haul travel. So maybe the hospitality industry here also would have to consider a little bit more to gear towards a domestic tourism in the short term. I think for policy makers also, they have had to change, uh, you know, their conventional tools that used to be just rate cards and, uh, you know, pump priming the fiscal economy. Um, now they have basically gone into unprecedented and uncharted waters. A lot of countries have uh, started quantitative easing of their own. I mean, if you look around the region, there are central banks that are now purchasing government bonds on both the primary and the secondary market. So that's effectively QE. And on top of that, um, you know, you basically have the Fed that's, uh, like I mentioned earlier, backstopping every single financial market out there in, in order to try and stem the bleeding. So we are really, you know, in uh, what I would call uh, unknown space. A uh, lot of uncertainty out there. Okay, this final question for uh, the day. One word you would use to describe your current, your current views of, of the market. One word, one adjective for our listeners out there. Carmen? Um, interesting. <laughs> I think that, um, sorry, I mean, I, I know it's one word, but I'm going to say it more than one word. But uh, the thing is that, yeah, with, with, with any change, and I think we've looked at it in the past five to six um, uh, Black Swan events in the last 40 years, right? I mean, markets have always come out with stronger, better, higher, because you learn from it, you build on it, and then uh, there will always be new opportunities. It's just a mindset change that through this whole period that we're running through, it's going to be very dark. Maybe, you know, through the dark. And that's why you have got uh, internet companies that came out of the darkness as well too. And, and with this whole COVID situation, well, now it's, the outlook is very dismal and, and uh, sentiment is very weak. I think all oh, of this will also come very interesting opportunities. I mean, like I say, I've never thought of ever shopping online, uh, you know, even buying my grocery online. It's always about the supermarket. But it's just a whole new world for me. And even like, uh, sorry, I mean, this is just very down to earth. Even exercising, I used to have to go to a, a gym just to go and do my exercise. This is it's readily available on all the um, channels. So I'm also starting, I mean, at my age, I'm also trying to transform and understand the whole new world. And so I think it's really very interesting. I mean, you just have to brace yourself for all the changes and, and yeah. Okay, uh, Okay, my word would be adaptive. I think the companies, the industries, and the individuals that can adapt to all these rapid changes will be the ones that survive and probably come out a lot more resilient. Um, you know, even myself and Carmen, we all have adapted to working from home. Uh, hopefully, the research uh, industry is adaptive and not uh, dispensable. Uh, when the Singapore economy reopens, we hope that uh, you know that we will still be able to add value to the organization. But I think we have basically adjusted the way we do things, and uh, that's actually surprisingly productive, I would say, in the short term. So it just takes a little bit of the mindset change, and uh, uh, you know, adapting to your new environment, adapting to new ways of doing business, and adapting to how you actually interact with your stakeholders as well. Okay, so my takeaway from today is that, yeah, bad news, but silver lining. So thanks, Carmen and uh, Selena.
And to our listeners, uh, stay home, stay safe, stay hopeful. This has been a podcast from OCBC Bank. Follow us on Spotify for more episodes like the one you've just heard.